Uh, We're in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 11. Uh, I told you we would take a brief break when we get to the halfway point. The halfway point is Luke chapter 12. When we finish up Luke 12, we'll take a break, and we're going to go to 2 Peter, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture there uh, for several weeks. This morning we come to Luke chapter 11, so if you'll be turning there, uh, Luke 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And as you're turning there, E.M. Bounds uh, wrote this. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better. He's talking about programs, ideas. It doesn't need more machinery or better. Not new organizations or more methods. What the church needs today is men. Men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer. Men mighty in prayer. The great reformer Martin Luther said that we should pray as though everything depends upon God and then work as though everything depends upon us. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, said that you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We need to be people of prayer. I need to be a person of prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, we see the disciples of Jesus being motivated and moved to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be motivated. Sometimes I need to be moved to pray. Sometimes I get in the spiritual slumps where it's difficult to pray, where I'm unmotivated, where I'm unmoved, and I just don't feel like praying. And we have some Plus One Helps videos that can help you if you're in that place. But we just come to those times in our spiritual life. We're not always on cloud nine. We're not always in a spirit of revival. Sometimes we're in the slump. Sometimes we're in a spiritual low place, and we need to be motivated and moved to pray. And this passage of Scripture does just that for us in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. We're going to see four ways that we can be motivated to pray, four ways that the disciples were motivated to pray in Luke chapter 11. The first way that we can be motivated to pray, the first way they were motivated to pray, was simply with a person. If you look in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught His disciples. The first motivator for these followers of Jesus was the person of Jesus Christ Himself. They had a personal example of prayer. Jesus has been praying. Jesus was praying there in a certain place. And when He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Teach us how to pray. Maybe the greatest motivation to pray is found in the example of of Jesus Christ. We see him praying as he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as he's praying, heaven is open. The Spirit of God descends upon him from heaven like like a dove. A voice comes from heaven declaring him to be the Father's beloved Son. This happened as he was praying. And then as he left the Jordan and as he went into the wilderness, he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. 40 days in the wilderness fasting, 40 days in the wilderness, praying. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 16, we find out that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Just before he chose his 12 disciples, he spent all night long in 
prayer. He prayed over five loaves of bread and a few little fish, and he was able to feed 5,000 people with 12 baskets full of leftovers. He was on the mountain praying when his whole countenance was changed and he was transfigured before the faces of Peter, James, and John. His clothing became dazzling white and Elijah and Moses appeared there with him talking. It was as he was praying that these things happened. The disciples had been walking with Jesus and following Jesus and watching Jesus all this way. And now they come to the point where once again he settles down in a certain place and he prays. And when he finishes praying, they say, Lord, teach us how to do that. Motivator, number one, is a person, and that person being Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you have a person. Maybe you have a person that you think of that motivates you to pray more. You think you have a person that comes to mind that that motivates you to be a person of prayer. Maybe you don't have that person, and maybe... If you don't have that person, you should strive to be that person for someone else. A great motivator to pray is people who pray. And ultimately, and most importantly, the example of the person of Jesus Christ. Second motivator, not only a person, but a plan. Jesus gave them a plan to pray. In verses 2 through 4, he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You probably recognize that as what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than the one we probably have memorized from Matthew because Luke is the one recording this. We're getting a different perspective on this, a different wording with the same message. In Matthew, you probably say the quote-unquote Lord's Prayer like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We know that prayer by heart because we've read in the scriptures that when one of the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he told them to pray this way. So well, oftentimes at, at sporting events, oftentimes in other areas, we might hear this prayer recited as though it's some kind of magic formula. I don't believe Jesus was so much telling them to just repeat this prayer verbatim as Jesus was giving them a plan to pray. Jesus is showing them what a pleasing prayer looks like. What kind of plan a pleasing prayer follows. And I want us to look at that just briefly this morning. Again, I think we have a Plus One Helps video if you want to listen to that perspective on this plan. But we see it right here in Scripture. This prayer begins with praise. He said... Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. In Matthew's gospel, he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Set apart is your name. Worthy is your name to be praised. So when we pray, if we need a a plan to motivate us to pray, that plan should begin with praise. We can praise God. 
God for who He is, our Father who is in heaven. We can praise Him for being always present with us, knowing everything, the past, the present, the future, all the possibilities, for being all-wise, for being all-powerful, for being sovereign, for being unchangeable, for being holy, for being merciful, for being gracious, for being loving and compassionate and patient and long-suffering. And we could go on and on and on, praising God for who He is, praising God for what He's done for us. We can count our blessings and praise Him. We can offer Him a sacrifice of praise. We can offer Him a sacrifice of thanksgiving. If we want a plan to pray, we can begin with praise. Our Father, hallowed be Your name. And then we can move to His priority in Luke chapter 11 and verse 2, the latter part of verse 2. He says, Your kingdom come. Notice that Jesus directs His disciples to begin by getting a picture of God in their mind and praising Him, and then moving from praising Him to praying His priority, which is His kingdom coming upon this earth. God's priority is not your candidate getting elected to the Senate or the House or the White House. God's plan is His kingdom. It's us getting on board with His kingdom. Man, would it not help us? Would it not help us to just begin our prayers with His kingdom in mind? Matthew said to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be about seeing God's kingdom advanced on earth as it is in heaven. And how is God's kingdom advanced? Listen very, very, very carefully. God's kingdom is advanced on earth as it is in heaven, not through politics. You would think so, as much as we get wrapped up in that. God's kingdom is advanced on earth as the gospel message of Jesus Christ goes forth from individuals to families to communities to nations to the world. It's the gospel message that will change the hearts and the lives of people. It's the gospel message that will bring about a transformation that will settle almost every one of our issues that we have as individuals, as families, as churches, as communities, and as nations. And we need to be praying God's priority that His kingdom would come to hearts, that His kingdom would come to our lives, our communities, our nation, and that His name would be exalted and that His name would be lifted high. When we pray we begin with praising Him and then let's get down to business and pray about eternal matters let's pray for the salvation of those that we know the salvation of our family members the salvation of our children the salvation of our friends let's pray for a revival in our churches let's pray for awakening in our communities let's pray for missionaries who are on the field forgotten as they are on their knees before God and they're out of sight and they're out of mind we need to be holding the ropes for them and lifting them up in prayer praying that God would protect them and provide for them and that God would bless them and their marriages and their families and their ministries and that God would give them fruit and wisdom we need to be praying for these missionaries and we need to be pushing beyond that and praying for those who are unreached and unengaged and have no gospel witness listen if you have trouble praying for more than five or ten minutes it's because you're not following Jesus's plan spend some time praising him for who he is and what he's done and then get down to business and pray his priority that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven Thirdly, we pray not only for praise, a prayer of praise and 
and pray His priority, but we pray for provision. In verse 3, He says, Give us each day our daily bread. Matthew says, Give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily prayer for the necessities of life. It doesn't say, Give us this day our brand new BMW, our three-story mansions, our fancy designer clothes, but or our steak and lobster tail, but our bread, our necessities. Listen, God cares about our needs. So we go to Him in dependence upon Him, and we say, God, I need you to meet my needs. I have a personal burden that may seem small to everyone else out here, but it weighs heavy on my heart. We can bring that to God. I have a very insignificant concern and need. We can bring that to God. The small things like bread, the big things, and everything in between, we can lay it at the feet of Jesus. We can lay it at the feet of God. We pray for our provision and for God to provide for us. Listen, that's just another act of worship. Think about this. We praise God. That's worship. We pray God's priority that His name and His kingdom will be advanced on earth to bring Him worship. Then we come to Him like little children and say, with open hands, and say, we need you to provide our daily bread. That's another way of worshiping Him and lifting Him up and exalting Him. We're dependent on you, not vice versa. There's praise, priority, provision, and then fourthly, there's pardon. Verse 4 says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. A constant reminder that we are sinful people. Listen, if we just spent time and analyzed every one of our actions, if we just took the time to analyze every one of our actions, every one of our words, every one of our thoughts, And all of the motives that are behind even the quote-unquote good things we do and the things that we fail to do that we should do, if we just keep digging into our hearts, we recognize that we are nothing. We're really just nothing but walking blobs of sin. We're we're nothing but 24-7, 365 balls of sin. And there is nothing good that dwells in us, and we are hopeless, helpless sinners apart from the righteousness and the holiness of Christ and apart from His grace holding us fast, which we just sang about. And we have plenty to, to lay before the Father. We have plenty to plead with God over and to confess our sins, as First John says. And trust Him to be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's not, let's not tag on the prayer, forgive us however we failed you, God, amen. Nonchalantly. But let's ask for Him to pardon us frequently, sincerely, and often. Fifthly, In this plan, He gives us not only praise and priority and provision and pardon, but protection. He says, lead us not into temptation. Matthew says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need His protection. God, we need You 
to put a hedge of protection around us. God, we need you to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, we need you to keep us from the world. We need you to keep us from the flesh. We need you to keep us from the devil and all of his schemes because we are like sheep who are without a shepherd, sent out amongst wolves without your protection. We are in a raging battle, not between Democrats and Republicans. We are in a raging battle. We are in a raging battle with spiritual forces in the heavenly places that are far more witty, far more skilled, far more sly than anyone or anything we've ever seen and know. And they're out to destroy, to steal, and to kill. And we, we need the protection of God. Our Children need the protection of God. Our marriages need the protection of God. Our families need the protection of God. We need God to protect us and to put a hedge of protection around us and then cover us with His favor like a shield, as the psalmist says. This motivator. We have the, uh, the person of Christ that motivates us. We have the plan of Christ that should motivate us. A plan of praise, priority, provision, pardon and protection and then thirdly we have a parable to motivate us in verses 5 through 8 look in verse 5 he said to them suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him Jesus moves from giving them a plan to pray to giving them a parable about prayer. And the parable is an odd parable because it seems here in this story that a, a, a friend has shown up at his friend's house unannounced, unexpected, as he's come through on a journey and he needs somewhere to lodge. And he's shown up at a very late hour. He's shown up at a time not only when his friend was not expecting it, but when his friend was not prepared for it. He shows up at midnight. He's been journeying. journeying. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's tired. And now he's shown up and the cabinets are bare. The cupboard is bare. There's no bread to eat. He has to make a decision. He has to decide whether he's going to be a bad neighbor to the guy next door or whether he's going to be a bad host. And it was a very easy decision because in this culture, hospitality was extremely, extremely important and valued by all. So there was no question he had to be a bad neighbor. He had to go next door. And he knocks on the door of his neighbor at midnight. And he says, please lend me three loaves of bread for I have someone who's coming to my home and he needs food. He's been on a journey and I don't have anything to offer him. In verse 7, from inside he answers and he says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. And if you have young children, you know why he says what he says next. I cannot get up and give you anything. It's taken me forever to get these little guys to go to sleep. It's taken me forever to get the door shut and them quiet. And now we've all finally bedded down. There's silence in the house. And you come pounding on the door and expect me to get up and stir the whole household to give you some bread. Go away. I'm not getting up to give you anything. I'm not risking waking these guys up again and giving them a second wind. 
Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. If this guy just keeps on standing there knocking at the door, the dude in the bed knows he's going to wake the kids up if I don't. So I'm going to slip out as quietly as I can. I'm going to give him whatever he needs to get rid of him so that hopefully we can get back to sleep and get some rest. This friend needing bread needing daily bread, was overly persistent. Jesus implies that he was shameless. No shame. And this is, this is an honor-shame culture. And so we live in a guilt culture, a, a guilt-innocent culture, where we feel guilty for sin, and that's, that's the most shameful thing, is to be caught in sin for us. It's guilt. In their culture, it's shame. They don't want to be ashamed before anyone. So he has to be ashamed before his visitor or he has to be ashamed before his neighbor. And he chooses to be shameless before his neighbor and go knock on the door as long as it takes to get him up to maintain his honor with his visiting friend and his visiting guests. He just sets aside all sense of shame. And Jesus is teaching us something about prayer here. We not only need the example of Jesus, we not only need the plan of Jesus, but we need to be shameless as this friend was in this parable. John MacArthur says the picture here is of shameless nerve, boldness, importunity, things that seem almost ludicrous to us going into the presence of the God of the universe. But our Lord is teaching us how to be invasive how to be bold in our prayers. As we think about this parable and how it motivates us to praise, we need to remember that Jesus here is giving us permission to boldly approach the throne of grace by His blood. He's giving us permission to boldly approach His door and beat on that door until we get an answer, which leads us to the fourth motivator. It's the promise in verses 9 through 13. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he give him a... Will he, he will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Verse 12, or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If the person of Christ and His example is not enough, if the plan that He gives us is not enough, if the parable that He told us is not enough, we now see the promises of Christ concerning prayer. And the promise goes like this, Ask, seek, and knock. And if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you, these three words are all commands. They're not suggestions. We're instructed to pray by asking, by seeking, by knocking. And the tense of the verbs in Greek describe a continuous action. It's not just ask, but it's ask and keep on asking. It's not just seek, but seek and keep on seeking. It's knock and keep on knocking. And the one who asks and keeps on asking will receive. And the one who seeks and keeps on seeking will, will get. And the one who knocks and keeps on knocking We'll have the door opened. Each of these commands gets a little bit more serious and a little bit more confrontational. It's one thing to ask. It's another thing to seek. 
It's one thing to seek. It's another thing to knock and to bang at the door. Remember the friend. He's banging at the door. He's asked for the bread. He's seeking the bread. He's knocking at the door for bread. This is one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture that if we'll ask and keep asking, it'll be given to us if we seek and keep seeking, we'll find it. If we knock and keep knocking, the door will be opened up to us. This is a major motivator to prayer. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. This is also a major unmotivator, if that's a word, for prayer. This is a demotivator for prayer if we don't believe this promise. You see, the promise is there to be believed. Or the promise is there to be disbelieved. And let's be honest, sometimes, even as believers, as Christians, when we find ourselves in those spiritual slumps, we read, ask, and it'll be given to you. And we say, yeah, right. Seek, and you'll find whatever. Knock, and it will be open to you, not to me. And when we, when we disbelieve, the promise that way, we may not say it out loud, we may be in our heart. When we disbelieve the promise that way, it's a demotivation. We don't want to pray. Why do I need to pray? Why should I spend the time praying? It's a waste of effort. It doesn't get past the ceiling. God doesn't care, God doesn't hear, and God definitely doesn't answer. So when I read a promise like this, I shut my Bible, I walk away, and I say, I'll go take care of things myself. If we believe this promise, it launches us into a motivation to pray. If we don't believe this promise, if we're in a place where we can't receive this promise and accept this promise, it spirals us into a condition where we don't want to pray. So what is the answer? Well, the answer is we need faith. How do we get faith? Do we stir ourselves up in a frenzy like the prophets of Baal and dance around the altar and shout and plead and yell and cut ourselves like the prophets of Baal? What does the Bible say? How do we muster up faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes from what? The Word of God. So how do we muster up faith? We put our ear to the Word of God and we hear Jesus saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking with shameless importunity. Knock on that door. Keep praying the plan. Praising me. Lifting up my priorities. Asking for your daily provision and your needs and your burdens and your hurts. Keep on asking for pardon. Keep on asking for my protection. Keep on watching me in Scripture and how I prayed. Follow my example. But keep on putting your ear to the Word. And eventually, eventually, if you persist, if you keep on listening, if you keep on hearing, faith will come. You'll believe the promise. And you'll be motivated to pray. After all, what kind of father if his child asks for a 
fish? Will he give him a scorpion or a snake? What kind of father, if his child asks for an egg to eat, will he give him a scorpion instead? If we, being evil, sinful people who need to pray for pardon on a regular basis, are so quick to give good things to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? And look at what He calls the good thing here. If you then, in verse 13, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. The good gift, the good gift we get from God in prayer may not be the answers to our prayer as we want them to be answered, but it'll be the Holy Spirit present with us, leading us, guiding us, directing us, opening doors, closing doors, sanctifying us, holding us fast, working in our lives. We get the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit. And how do, we, how do we get the Holy Spirit? First and foremost, we turn away from our sin and we turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ and we believe the gospel message and we call upon His name and He saves us and He comes to dwell within us in the person of the Holy Spirit, the good gift of God's Spirit, the great gift of God's Spirit. When Jesus prayed as He was being baptized in the Jordan, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him like a dove, we pray to our good Father who is in heaven, and He sends the Holy Spirit upon us and within us to work through us and for us for His glory, and for our good. If you are unmotivated to pray, or you just need to be moved to pray more like I do, and like I often do, let's look to the person of Christ. As He prays in that certain place, and His disciples watch, let's, let's look to the plan He's given us, to pray that model prayer that He's laid out for us. Let's remember this parable of the, of the persistent friend and let's cling to the promises even when we don't believe them and put our ear to the Word of God until faith comes. And let's go to God in prayer and be praying people together. And let's thank Him for the Holy Spirit who holds us fast through it all and uses us to lift high His name from here to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank You for the privilege of prayer. We thank You for the motivation to pray. I pray that you would help us. Help us. We need it, God. We need your provision in this area. We need you to work. We need you to give us hope. We need you to give us assurance. We need you to give us faith. We need you to show us glimmers of how you answer and how you work. We need a little reviving and awakening. We need your good gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we talked about last week, God, as we get that good gift of the Holy Spirit and that good experience of being with you in prayer, let us not store it up, but let's send it out from here and those we know here and those we come in contact with here all the way to the very, very ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.